Well, good morning. Oh, excellent. That was a little bit better than if I were doing the welcome. So let's try it again. I think we can get better than that. Good morning. Excellent. So it does get better. Good morning to you online as well. I am so excited to be here with you. And I just want to say when the cat's away, the mice will play. If you haven't noticed, you haven't seen Pastor Christopher or Pastor Dave. They are on a pastor spouse retreat, and they're getting some rest and some relaxation. And so they have left Don and I in charge. So there are no rules today, and we get to do what we want, right? So interesting, we could change up the music if we wanted, but... Since Christopher has already done that, or Chris, sorry, um, he's shaking his head no, so there will not be any changing of the music, and there are rules that we do need to follow. So, we are completing this first month of 2022, and if you remember back in the day, like I know there's some young people here, but back in the day when you were 13, and you said, oh, I cannot wait to, dr- uh, to be 16 so that I can drive, And then you became 16, and you started driving, and you said, oh, I cannot wait until I'm 18, and then somebody will treat me like an adult. I remember those days well. I remember the anticipation of that next milestone age, and yeah, I'm actually heading towards a next milestone age. And so you remember that, how you felt like the time just drug and drug and drug, right? And you're probably wondering, where is she going with this? But time does really go by fast, right? And those of you who are like my age and maybe older can shake your head and say, yes, it does go by fast. And we have completed one month of 12 in 2022 and in the midst of a global pandemic. So, one thing I have learned about the, the things as time, about time, as I get older, is that it does fly. And so when someone does tell you that, believe them because you're going to get there. You're going to say that yourself if you're young. Now, like I said, I can't believe that we have already completed this first month. And many of you are in the same boat that I'm in. You drive to work, it's dark outside. You drive home, it's dark outside. And somehow, you've managed to miss the daylight unless you left your desk at lunchtime and you went outside where it's cold. And many days lately on my journey home, I would see some evidence of last month's celebration. And oddly enough, if you look around here, it is still here. There are trees still up. There's a Christmas tree still up in the foyer. And say what you want, if it's a winter tree, if that's what you want it to be, that's great. But it is a Christmas tree. And conversation that we had this morning between Chris and Lori and I, and I am all with Chris, that tree needs to come down, people. It is finally over until the next time, right? Well, on my drive home, I would see dimly lit houses with a spattering of leftover Christmas celebration, and I think, wow, they should have gotten that down by now. And then I realized that I am just as delinquent because all of my decorations, 
finally got put away yesterday. Now, talk about time getting away from you. I started this year off already behind because my decorations usually come down New Year's Day. We're talking like really behind, like a month. So we've just completed these 21 days of prayer and fast, right? Many of you participated with that. And I pray that as you took this journey of breakthrough, that you were able to overcome some strongholds in your life. And it was a very pleasant surprise if you didn't get a cookie last week. They were on the sign-up tables for the connect groups. So um, I did not, but I chose not to partake in the cookies. So I have gotten into this habit of choosing a word at the beginning of the year. And I know many of you have gotten into the same habit, right? You choose a, year, a word, and then you choose a scripture, and you make that your focus for the year. And I generally do this because it does help me throughout the year. God uses it to grow me as I meditate on a word. And you actually, by the end of the year, can see where you've stepped into that word. This year, I just wanted to use my own personal verse. It's Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And while I didn't quite have a word yet for this verse, I began to look at this verse and research it and see just what it means to have this confidence and what are these good works that Paul is really talking about. And as I went on in my research, I ended up with five pages of notes. And that's in a Word document. That's not even a handwritten document. So I thought, that was a lot of pages. Wow. Now, in order to look at why Paul encouraged the people of Philippi, we need to first see just who are these people and why did Paul have this generous love towards them. Philippi was first known as Frenides, and I'm sure I'm saying that wrong because when I heard the pronunciation of this word, it had a little bit of a Spanish flair with a rolled R, but I do not want to hurt myself today, so I'm going to leave that out. It was also known as the city of Philip, and it received its name from Philip II of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. Now, there's a little history lesson for you. Philip conquered the region in the 4th century BC because he was attracted to the gold mines that were nearby. And in the 2nd century BC, Philippi became this part of the Roman province known as Macedonia. Now, Paul had several reasons to write this letter to Philippi. First, he wanted to thank them for the gifts. They supported Paul by sending them money. And they used um, Ephroditus. He was the messenger who delivered all these gifts to Paul. And he was sent there not only to carry the gifts, but to also care for Paul. And, Af and Epaphrodites became ill. So Paul wanted to send him back to the people of Philippi. Third, he wanted to keep this church of Philippi current on his own situation in Rome, and he also wanted to encourage them into unity and to warn them of false teachers. So what does this mean when Paul says in this verse, being confident of this, that he who began, now I'll stop there, 
because I have that little part underlined. Paul was confident in three things. He was confident in being unfinished. Now, I have a little disclaimer here. This word unfinished has been the center of a conversation around the tables with a few ladies here. And if you're here tonight or this morning, you'll know and understand what I'm talking about. And if you're watching online and you're not here, you'll know who you are. Ladies, this has nothing to do with our conversation. Um, it has just happened to come up in my sermon, but we may play on it later. Now, God is showing me the value of this word, unfinished, and through this focused scripture. And Paul thought about this beginning, right? The first day God began a work in the Philippians, God began this new work of grace in the lives of these people, and he began to a new work of grace in you the day you decided to say yes to Jesus. Now, this initial work of grace is called initial sanctification. I know this word, sanctification, is a churchy word. And what does this word, sanctification, really mean? It simply means being made holy. This is a process where most people go on this long journey of growth and surrender, and you were first saved or justified, another churchy word, and then you began this journey toward holiness. Many of us are on that journey now, whether you realize it or not. And as Paul thought of this first day, he also thought about this last day when God would complete what he started. He was confident in God's ability to complete the work. Now, I don't know about many of your own routines, but when I see stuff like this, I tend to take it to heart, and I begin to question myself. And in this process, what I've learned is God is usually revealing something that needs to change. And sometimes, my friend, it is not fun. Well, I should say most of the time, it's not fun. And once you realize where you need to change, and you put it into action, because there is that small piece that covets change, action has to go with it, God will build your confidence. And when your confidence grows, so does your faith, and so does your trust. So while Paul was confident that God would complete the work he began, you will also become confident that God will complete this work in you too. Second, he was confident in his convictions. Hmm. I looked at this word, and then I'm like, well, what exactly does this mean, this word, convictions? This word, in its current context, means to help us stand firm in a certain belief. The Greek word for conviction is babiosis, and I'm sure I'm hurting my tongue on that one too, which means to produce confidence. Now, that was an aha moment for me because we're talking about convictions as they relate to confidence, and it fit right on in to where we are going today. You see, Paul had this confidence in his convictions, especially when it came to the gospel of Jesus. We're going to look into Philippians 1.7. It says, 
is it right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart? And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. I know that I've mentioned this trust piece earlier, and Paul shows us that he had this trust piece in the power of Jesus. And he was not afraid to share this good news in, and neither were the people of Philippi. And Paul had this confidence in this knowledge about this beloved church. Now, when a person has a conviction on any matter, they will know what to do so that when they do come to a crossroads, they will make a decision based on their conviction, no matter what the consequence, if it's a good consequence or a bad consequence. So when you do have a personal conviction, you're standing on what you believe is true, and you stand on a principle. And Paul had this personal conviction on this power of Jesus. And it took the power of Jesus to stand against those who were against him. We're going to go backward into the Old Testament. We're going to take a look at Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18, a well-known story of three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the burning furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from it. Did you catch that? The God we serve is able, and he will. Hmm. That sounds pretty confident to me that the God we serve will deliver us. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. These three friends were confident in their convictions. And they did not budge on what they believed. They stood against worshiping of idols and against the wrath of the king because they were convicted of how sinful idol worshiping was. They knew it was wrong, and yet they stood together, and they faced this fiery furnace because of it. And we all know the outcome, right? They came out of this furnace, and they didn't even have the smell of burning embers on them. Why? Because they had the power dancing in the flames with them. And this is the same power that Paul had this conviction about as well. Now, our personal conviction should not be formed on what we feel about something, but should be formed on what the Bible tells us about a specific matter. And we see in Proverbs 28:26, those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. As we mature and move away from this initial sanctification, right, this churchy, churchy word to be made holy, we make this shift toward and into this progressive sanctification. And this is where most of us will spend much of our time learning and growing 
and our convictions will change based because of our growth, and we are being made holy. What does it mean for us to be made holy? God's desire for us to be holy is because simply he is holy. It tells us in Leviticus 11.44, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. And 1 Peter 1.16 says it again, be holy because I am holy. You see, we are made in this image of God, and God is holy, and he reminds us both in the Old and the New Testaments to be holy because he is holy. And that is what this process of sanctification does for us as we yearn to know and grow and, and um, as we move on. So we talk about this conviction as it pertains to our beliefs in something, but what about those convictions that we get on our journey? So we're talking about a completely different kind of conviction here. The Holy Spirit, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, does his job well, right? I'm sure that you all have never been convicted of something, right? Nobody. I'm the only one who gets convicted. Ah, one person. Ooh. I'm going to get on my knees shortly and pray for all of you. I don't know about you, but I get convicted. Usually it's about my own attitude towards whatever situation I'm in. And then, of course, I am pushed into seeking change. And I hate those moments because they push me towards humility. And we all know humility oftentimes does not feel good, does it? So God's changing power comes in different ways. It comes in an instant, or it can come gradually. It can come through human help, or it can come spiritually. And it comes as we gradually begin to yield to convictions. It means... It is the means of which God makes us more Christ-like. Now, Paul's third point on confidence, he had this confidence in a higher level of love. I'm going to retouch on Philippians 1, 7, but I'm going to add verse 8 to it this time. Is it right for me to feel this way about all of you? Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, hang tight with me. This level of affection that Paul had for the people of the church of Philippi, he states in verse 8, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He measured his love against the love of Jesus that he has for humanity. And when I looked up this word affection, I was quite surprised at what I found because in other translations, it uses the word bowels. Now, the King James Version says in verse 8, For God is my record... How greatly I long after you in all the bowels of Jesus Christ. Well, can you imagine where my mind went? 
Well, I don't think that I'm interested in even the bowels of Jesus. And I found it quite ironic that this word bowel is used here, especially since I spend the greater part of my days talking about poop. Some have other words for that word, but I won't say that this morning. So why this word bowels? Because the word affection is certainly more appealing from a literal standpoint, right? And it certainly does not mean what we think it means. It has absolutely nothing to do with whether the pipes are clean. So the bowels, according to the Greeks, were regarded as the center of more fierce passions like anger and love. However, the Hebrews saw it as this tender affection like kindness, benevolence, and compassion. These are all emotions that are felt in your heart. And Paul's love for the people of this church is an inward affection with tender mercies, and it was strong. And it was felt deeply. It was an intense yearning to be united in Christ with them. This Christ-like affection that Paul has gained didn't come instantly. It came with knowing who Jesus is. And Paul gives us this display of love because of the fervent way he prayed for those he loved and the way he lived his life. And there's that word, prayer, and we've been doing this prayer and fast. And we see here that it does change lives. This love is not something that we can just work up to. It is a constant pouring in of the love of Christ into your own hearts by the Holy Spirit. And as our love for Jesus grows, fruit is shown in our lives. And this love of Christ will then pour out of us to those whom God has placed around us, and as we learn more about God and his ways, we will show this genuine love of Christ to others. And when I began this journey that I'm on towards ordination just a few short years ago, I knew that I would go and learn on a deeper level. And I was looking forward to it because I tend to be book smart, and Marty and my son Kyle can attest to how crazy I am when it comes to my schoolwork, and I desire to have good grades. And in more than one class, I found myself being assigned to write my own story. And I have many versions of it on my computer, because each time I had to write it, it changed slightly. Not because I forgot something, and yes, I am entering that age where I am beginning to be forgetful, and so I've taken to sticky notes, and I've taken to emails to myself to remember things that I need to get done. But when I saw, each time I wrote it down, I saw where God had my back, and I saw where I felt God's love and direction. And I also had a prayer, and I prayed this over and over and over, and I still pray for it today over the ministries that I serve, and the remaining classes that I need to complete in order to be ordained. God, help me love the way Jesus loves. And this prayer became my request every single day. 
And soon, I was finding myself loving on people every day and in different ways, serving them through love. You see, loving people is difficult for me, and I can see how Saul, a.k.a. Paul, felt in his days when he was the persecutor instead of the persecuted. Jesus got his attention and poured his love into Paul. He poured his affection so much that Paul felt this love in the deepest parts of himself. As we see in the word bowels, no, I did not hate people the way Paul did, but I did hold grudges, and I held them for long periods of time against those who I thought wronged me. And God has certainly taught me a lot about love and especially where I needed to change. I could hear him say to me, well, if you want to love others the way I do, your way is not the way. I can't tell you how many times I heard that whispered into my ear. And soon, again, I was finding myself wanting to care for and pray for people and their needs. And it is now a habit. And it takes 30 days to form a habit. So this love is sort of like the Grinch. When he discovered love in his heart, his heart grew three sizes, and you see him excited to share that love with others. So he returns all this evidence of Christmas to the people of Whoville. We just had Christmas, right? We talked about Christmas trees earlier. Remember all those people who are still celebrating with their shiny light display. God gave us this beautiful example of his love in the form of this holy baby. This holy baby goes to the cross of a thief as a man just because God loved deeply. You see, I believe God has me exactly where he wants me in the place that I need to be in this moment as a shining light. And the people that I serve who are around me can see that light. And this comes when we submit to this good work that Paul began through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is this good work that Paul speaks of? According to Paul, it began in the lives of the believers of the Philippian church, and it begins in all believers, again, when you say yes to Jesus. And if I'm going to quote Charles Spurgeon, I'm going to quote him like crazy today, because sometimes you just cannot say it better yourself, right? He said, the work of grace has its root in the divine goodness of the Father. It is planted by the self-denying goodness of the Son, and is daily watered by the goodness of the Holy Spirit. It springs from good. It leads to good. So is altogether good. The author of this good work in us is God. His work is being made perfect in us, and it's being made complete in us. And Paul had this confidence in the ability that God would complete his work in the people he loved and he has them in you as well. And we are not capable of beginning this good work ourselves. Let's face it, we're human. We are dead to sin. There's no way we can raise ourselves to life. Now, imagine that. 
with me. If you could raise yourself to life, what would that look like? We'd have people raising up all over the place, right? Hmm. You see, God knew we would need a helper. So he gave us this piece of himself to make us aware of this need. It's God who brings life to those who are dead, and it can only come from God through the Holy Spirit. Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. So you see, he made you alive in Christ, and it was God who began this good work in you, and it is to be lived out among other believers, but it is also to be lived out among the lives of those who do not know who Jesus is. Whether you realize it or not, you are a key player in this good work because you are being made complete. And when you are touching the lives of those God placed around you, whether they are believers or not, God will continue to do his work in you until the day of Christ Jesus. We all know when that is, right? It tells us in Revelation when God will come again or Jesus will come again. And again, it speaks to our sanctification, this being made holy because God is holy. Now, one thing I love doing, and I had to ask permission from my son to use him because I didn't know if it was going to cost me any dollars, but I can use Marty as many times as I want because I have a license to do that. But my children, I don't know, that's different. They might charge me. I love having these deep conversations with my children about God. And I have loved, 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 loved watching God move in my son Kyle and his wife Ellen. And more, I have loved watching Remy grow. I've had these deep conversations with her, and I find that by the end of the conversation, I am being schooled by a six-year-old. And she tells me often, you're the pastor, you should know. Mm, I love those kids. Like, oh, can't stand it. So I have to share with you some playtime that I had with Desmond. Desmond, of course, is Kyle and Ellen's youngest little boy. And he is a hoot. He loves Christmas. Now, he has inherited this love of Christmas from none other than his poppy in the back of the church. So you can go ahead and tell him. You can even blame him for the Christmas stuff being up. Because it'll be him who's singing jingle bells, and he won't care. Well, Desmond has this love for blow-up Christmas lawn ornaments. Now... Hang out with me here. So he creates this game. And I got to play this game with him, and I was so excited, and it made me laugh. He, he says, you got to push the button. Okay, where's the button? I'm like, mm -hmm. I didn't know where the button was. The button's on the back of his neck. I didn't know that. So you push the button, and he inflates. And he becomes this snowman, and he's blowing in the wind. He said, push the button. Okay, push the button, and he deflates. 
push the button. The button. Oh, and he inflates, and he becomes a snowman, and he's blowing in the wind, and you got to push the button, and he deflates. And we went on like this, inflating and deflating Desmond. But what had made me really pause and think about was we see these lawn ornaments that are inflated. They're shining bright on a dark night. They glow for everybody to see them. You can't miss them because some of them are as big as a house. So Desmond has this love for these. It brings him joy, and I'm sure that these lawn ornaments are going to be more plentiful on their front lawn. You see, they shine in a dark night so people can see them. Their job is to bring joy to people who see them. They've certainly brought joy to Desmond, right? So much so, he's created this fabulous game that I love to play with him. But what about those good works? What about those good works in you? Can't we see that these good works are the light that God has given us to shine brightly in a dark world? And this sometimes might be the only light that some people see. Now, the second thing that Charles Spurgeon said on this good work is to bring a man from darkness into light is good. To deliver him from the bondage of his natural corruption and to make him the Lord's free man must be good. It's good for himself, it's good for society. It's good for the church of God. It's good for the glory of God himself. It is so good a thing that he who receives it becomes the heir of all good and moreover, the advocate and author of further good. This good is the best that a man can receive. Again, I cannot say that any better than Charles Spurgeon did. John Wesley believed that holiness is social. He believed that it was, had to be lived out among community, wherever that is. And one thing that I have realized as I unpack this verse is that God began this work in me. It was nothing I did on my own. It's okay to think of myself as unfinished because I am called to growth and change and love as I am being made holy and I know that you are being called the same way. Let's pray. Father God, we just come to your throne morning and we offer up this good work that you are doing in all of our lives, Father, and that you will complete this good work in the day of Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, let us leave here this morning knowing that the good work that you are filling us with is this good work that we're going to take out and we're going to take away from this place into our workplaces, into our communities, into our homes. And people are going to see it. And they're going to know who you are. Thank you, Father. Thank you for all of the good work 
that you are doing and we will be confident in it that you will complete it. Lord, we love you and we give this all to you through your son, Jesus. Amen. Now, if the giving team will come forward. Lord, we come to your throne this morning as we collect our tithes and our offerings, Father, that the blessings that you pour out to us are so abundant. This is just a small portion of what we can give back to you. And so, Father, I just pray that you would take it and you would multiply it, Father, so that the needs that are met can flow out from this church. Father, we love you. We offer this to you through your son, Jesus. Amen.